0: Well, good morning. Um, First of
1: all, can we just give it up for those baptisms? That was amazing to see our first time here at 333 Atlantic. And it was also kind of interesting to see the juxtaposition between people getting baptized in water right in front of a bar, where they usually get baptized in something else. It kind of reminded me of the fact that, like, the miracle that Jesus did of turning water into wine, we just kind of saw the reverse of that, it turning wine into water. (laughs) Yeah, thank you, thank you. But um, baptism, part of the reason why we celebrate it is because it's going public with our faith. And it's letting people know that the good news of Jesus is for everyone, which is actually the theme of our time in Romans. Good news for everyone. And today it's going to be a bit different than normal. Um, We have designed this rhythm in our series so that uh, after a few weeks of going into it chapter by chapter in a more kind of focused, uh, methodical way, we're going to zoom out every few weeks to kind of see how these themes connect to our current moment. So can we talk and be relevant for 2021 today, right? Well, thank you. Relevant for 2022. Wow. Boy, it's hard to keep track of time nowadays, right? Anybody else be like, what day is it again? What month are we in? What year? Yes, 2022. Um, And uh, we do want to also continue to encourage you to invite people into this Season of good news for everyone. This is a focus for our church. And so, the three things that we're asking people to do is pray, post, and invite. And we want to continue to encourage you to pray, post, and invite so that we can be part of doing that together to let people know that this good news is indeed for everyone. Amen. 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 But the other thing that, as I look at Romans and especially in the first few chapters, Chapters One, Two, and three. What we see is that before we can even really get to understand the good news, we have to understand the bad news and the reality is this is where we a, a biblical perspective kind of deviates from the cultural perspective of our human condition. in other words, the world around us might say, well, you know it's it's not people who are bad, it's just people in power who are bad or It's just the way some people were raised. But in actuality, in Romans, it says the problem is much more pernicious, more personal, and more powerful than that. Paul says that there is none righteous, no, not one, that all of us have gone astray. He says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, every single one of us. And... Not only that, but it also tells us that we invent ways to do evil. Think about that. It's like it's not enough just to do the basics, right? Like murder, lying, like we create new ways. And if anybody has ever seen one of those emails that says, hey, your uh, account with this bank has been um, compromised, click on this link so we can fix it. It's a phishing situation. Like, we, we've created a scenario where the thieves are pretending to be the actual bank trying to pre- protect you from theft. Like, that's, that's on some old next level type. Or, you know, you get those calls. And nowadays, we get more... Call saying, hey, your auto warranty is about to expire, than we do actually from people who want to talk to us. Invent ways, and, and there's not actually some sometimes this is robocalls. We've created a way to disrupt all of our lives by having robots or just machines continually call everybody. Raise your hand if you've been experiencing that before and you hate it. Amen. That's all of us. All of us. That didn't exist 10, 15, 20 years ago. So Speaking of that, raise your hand if you have ever experienced identity theft. Ever experienced any form of identity theft? Had to. Okay, I see some of us in the room. The reality is this type of theft, identity theft, in the U.S., in 2020, in one year, 47% of all Americans were victimized by identity theft. To the tune of $714 billion dollars. $714 billion, if you were to put that as a, as a nation of an economy, it would be more than Switzerland. That's how much theft has occurred through the sense of identity, stuff that we've made up. But the reality is what we're going to spend most of our time talking today about is the fact that even as great as identity theft is, and as widespread as we've seen those attempts be, they're not the worst form of identity theft we've seen in history. Actually, colonialism is the worst form of identity theft in history, and it's something that has impacted not just history, but even the way that we come into the text, even the way people see Jesus, and so we're going to have to talk about it. Is that we talk about it? We're going to talk about it. Well, first, we've got to start by defining what is colonialism. The interesting thing is we see it throughout the pages of Romans if you look at it through a certain lens, but This is a a basic definition I found. Colonialism is a historical and ongoing global project where settlers continue to occupy land, dictate social, political, economic systems, ideas, and beliefs, and exploit indigenous people and their resources. The key word is occupy. Because it's it's an invasive thing. It's I, I decided to come here and just decide to plant my flag in land where people are already living and say, guess what? We discovered it. It's ours. And we can do with it what we want. Now, you might go, well, that, whoa, that was like hundreds of years ago. But how is it ongoing? Well, stick around. This is what, in their book, uh, Reparations, Duquan, who's a pastor in D.C., I've had the opportunity to interview in my podcast and Gregory Thompson. This is how they define uh, this aspect of theft. It says, while this theft took many forms, its most significant and enduring forms are the theft of truth, the theft of power, and the theft of wealth. The theft of truth, the theft of power, and the theft of wealth. Well, how widespread is this aspect of colonialism? Colonialism there's a map that you can kind of see over time, and uh, it's a GIF, and I'm going to say GIF because I just saw that the the person who created GIF just passed away this week, and he said it was pronounced GIF, so I'm changing my GIF to GIF now. But um, if you look, this is a a GIF that kind of shows over time how the world was literally shifted and shaped by colonial powers, And as you can see, from South America to Africa to Australia, there is not a part of the globe that it hasn't touched. And in fact, even right now, as we're looking at the crisis and the war in Ukraine, literally, Russia is trying to colonize another country right now. Well, what's been the impact of this? Over $45 trillion in the last 60 years of wealth has been taken from countries in Africa through this continued exploitation. You ever notice how when you go to coffee, there's that whole aspect of fair trade now that people talk about? Well, that is a response to the reality that countries were, by and large, exploiting people who were picking, you know, these, you know, coffee beans and other things and not paying them fairly, and that's a form of theft. And this is how complex this is to talk about because we're still in it and it's almost like hard to to kind of zoom out because we're i'm speaking english right now why am i speaking english in a in north america from descendants of africa colonialism and its influence was so immense that we're just only beginning to figure out how to properly um measure it it's still that invasive and, and complex Now, some of you might be wondering, okay, but I'm in church. What does this have to do with my faith? And I'm glad you asked. Today, we're going to talk about how colonialization steals God's glory, how it steals access to justice, and how by decolonizing our faith, we will reclaim God's glory and also receive good news. First, how colonization steals God's glory. Well, again, you don't have to look much further than Romans chapter one. Look at what it says. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Paul, in his, you know, basically court case where he presents the case against humanity, says one of the primary things that humans did was exchange the glory of, of God for man. And that, another word for exchange the glory, stole. So how do we see a Middle Eastern Palestinian man with blue eyes and blonde hair in the form of Jesus, in the images that we see in churches, in homes across the country? Like, the thing about it is, if you think about it, In the biblical story, we're told that the angel told Mary and Joseph to hide in Egypt, which last time I checked was in Africa, to avoid Herod. How good could you hide a blonde-haired, blue-eyed boy (laughs) in Egypt? (laughs) Like, I'm just I'm just asking these questions, right? So, so this theft of truth is this pervasive you know, uh, imaging that we've seen. Now, we also know that this wasn't the only image of Jesus around the globe, but it's oftentimes the only one we see. Uh, There's one from several hundred years ago in Ethiopia where you see Jesus looking quite different with brown skin as well as the disciples. Well, some would say, well, why does it matter? Well, it matters because this was part of an intentional effort to say, okay, well, we can't subjugate a people and have the God that we worship look like the people we subjugate. Okay, so we got to switch that up. But it's not even just in church. We see this in um, films and <laughs> entertainment as well. Anybody here remember Lone Ranger? I mean, before Army Hammer, like the old school black and white, uh, you know, uh, guy. He was the Lone Ranger, was the guy traveling throughout the West fighting uh, crime with his sidekick Tonto, Native American. Well, this was a wildly successful comic book in the 30s and 40s, and the show uh, was wildly successful as well. But here's the problem. Here's the real Lone Ranger. His name is Bass Reeves. He was a black man in the West, like, who, I mean, if you just look him up, I mean, his feats of you know, crime fighting were astounding, over 200 arrests. And I mean, literally was known. And here's why they, here's where Tonto comes from. Bass Reeves, because he was raised in part around Native Americans, he knew how to speak multiple languages and would use that strategy to help him fight crime. So instead of just seeing that in one person, they created two different people erasing him from the story. And unfortunately, this isn't just about Hollywood, but as we go back into looking at um, the the complexity and the intersection and just the mixing up of the enterprise of colonialization and missionary work, uh, it gets a little complicated. This is what Show Baraka says. Show Baraka is an artist. He just came out with a book um, called He Saw That It Was Good. It's a great book. And this is what he said. History shows that missionary projects can become Western colonization disguised as religious compassion. Too often, missions has been about the gospel of culture, not the good news of Christ. This points us to an important truth. If we end up making our God, he'll end up looking like us. Show, sees this, way in which throughout history and time this this mixture i I remember going to african seeing it myself i studied abroad and i went to cameroon and one of the things that was just you know all over is just the music and just the you know the african polyrhythmic sounds and it was just this great sound everywhere you went and then i went to church and it was literally a dude with a white wig on and a black robe like looking like it was like in england in court and it was just completely singing hymns with no instrumentation that looked like the culture around them and it's like where does this come from and then you start to realize the impact on history and the way people even express and see God. So in order to really live out this thing, this faith, authentically, we have to undo the idolatry of colonialism by demolishing colonial idols. The idols that Paul said in Romans 1 that we make by exchanging the sense of the immortal God with images of mortal man those are idols like the standards of beauty our beliefs that somehow civilization started in the west Uh, we have to address this theft and here's the here's the amazing thing here's the good news the good news is that we see this type of work being done in the scriptures all over the place in the old testament and the new testament And the fact that we oftentimes don't see it is a fact of how our faith has been colonized in many ways, to not see it. But let me just give you an example of of this and particularly the issue of how. So the one thing we talked about is how colonialization steals God's glory. The second is it steals justice. And we're going to see another passage where we see this in 2 Kings 24, just to set this up. 2 Kings is uh, really at the end of the story of Israel as a sovereign nation. And it's telling the story of how uh, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, comes in and basically uh, lays siege to the city and over, eventually overwhelms them. And it says, the king of Babylon carried off all the treasures of the house of the Lord and the treasures of the king's house, and cut in pieces all the vessels of gold in the temple of the Lord, which Solomon, king of Israel, had made. He carried away all Jerusalem, and all the officials, and all the mighty men of valor, 10,000 captives, and all the craftsmen and the smiths. None remained except the poorest people of the land. Carried off the treasures carried away the people. You know what that's called? Theft. And the the fascinating thing is that the Bible is written from the perspective not of the conquerors but of those who experienced the colonization. And what we see in the book of Daniel, Jeremiah, is we see resistance against these oppressive forces that we that yes, were both combined as idol worshipers, we see this in Daniel where King Nebuchadnezzar builds this big statue and wants everybody around the world to worship it or else they'll die. But we also see it in the injustice of them stealing the wealth of the people, going into the house of the Lord and stealing everything uh, that was in it. We see the same thing play out in the history of colonization. One of the amazing things, if we, remember the uh, Black Panther scene where Killmonger goes into the museum. And he's in the museum, and he has this conversation with like the museum curator, and uh, and he's about to take the mask and things from Africa. But he says, "Y'all stole this. <laughs> how does this? Mu- how are all these artifacts from Wakanda in this, you know, uh, museum in London?" So it's like it raises this interesting question: like, if he's stealing it back, like, but they stole it. Is it really stealing? I mean, it's just this complicated thing, right? Like, but, but what it reveals is a real truth that this legacy, this history, has, has still combined in this space where we're living the legacy of it right now. But not only is there a theft of wealth, in which if you just look at the top nations in the world, and you know, by GDP or any other measure, you won't see African nations listed anywhere in the top nations of the world. But there's also a theft of power, Now, the theft of power looks differently depending on the context. Well, one aspect we see how Nebuchadnezzar stole that sense of power over people by literally taking the people. And he, you know, took Daniel, his friends, he took, you know, the craftsmen, it says he took over 10,000 people captive and and sent them to Babylon. When I was uh, in Israel, I actually met someone whose grandmother moved back from Iraq, which is where Babylon, you know, Iraq is, was old school Babylon. And so that, that history is like, wow, that helped me connect it. Like, y'all were still there from what I'm reading about in scripture. So you're still people, but in a, in a democratic society, you know, the most, how do we make decisions? How do we, how do we exert power as a populace? We vote. Well, has there been an assault on voting from those who were colonized and ever in the past? If you just look at, you know, one of the most powerful things about history is to recognize that Lincoln was not killed for freeing slaves. He gave a speech in which he talked about black people being, uh, having citizenship. And John Wilkes Booth turned over to someone else and said, he's talking about giving words the right to vote. That's the last speech he's ever going to give. And so when I see just recently the attempts to discredit an election and look at where the places that they were discrediting it were, primarily Philadelphia, Detroit, Fulton County, and Atlanta, Georgia, what do they all have in common? If you said high black populations of voters, then you would be correct. Well, how do we respond to this? And if you looked at that image, one of the things that's starking and striking is you saw a flag that had Jesus in it that was very prominent, what we saw at the insurrection. In fact, when those who came into the halls of Congress did so, they actually prayed in Jesus' name over their efforts. So how do we respond to those who reject Jesus because Christianity has been used to justify these type of thefts? It's a question that for many of us, you might be asking right now for yourself. You may be hanging on by a thread. I love how Dr. Christina Edmondson put it. Uh, She's an author, actually co-author of a book that just came out this week. uh, Definitely would encourage you to get it. It's called Faithful Anti-Racism. And when I was talking with her, um, she said, While I can look at the tradition of Western Christianity in many ways and say these are all the ways that Western Christianity has been using the name of Jesus to subjugate people made in the image of God. I can also say that there are riches in Jesus's Christianity that he gives to his church for us to dismantle and to resist the sin of racism. So here's the reality. If we reject Jesus because of colonization, we are believing the the narrative of the colonizers over the colonized. Like, in other words, who, who was right? Whose version of the faith was more accurate? Was it Harriet Tubman who said, literally God revealed himself to me and called me to be a deliverer of the people or General Robert E. Lee or others who said, no, my whole goal in life is to fight for the divine right to own these people. And in a weird way, those who would reject the faith because of the Lees are saying, actually, his version of the faith is accurate and Harriet's is wrong. And it's not even just in an American context. Like we saw earlier, this is a global question, right? Who was right? Those who sought to erase Native Americans and their culture by saying that they were going to kill the Indian and save the man? or those natives of faith who saw Christ speaking in and through their culture and made it make sense that the great spirit that their ancestors had told them about was actually the divine that was revealed in Scripture? Who's right? And we can go on culture by culture, continent by continent, and ask that same question. And I would say we would at least have to go back to the source to see what the Scriptures say about themselves. And what we see is that when that difficulty of doing that is because we've elevated the dominant narrative, the dominant culture's narrative above the others who've been marginalized. And so this, the a main second main way to decolonize your faith is by decentering dominant narratives. We have to decenter dominant narratives. What do I mean by that? I mean the the, the way of looking at just de facto assumption to say, well, this is what. Those who colonized said the faith was about, so that must be what it's about. That, that in and of itself is problematic. Again, let's go back to the source. And it's fascinating to see how Jesus responds to this. In John chapter 8, verses 34 through 36, look, look at this. This is an interaction, an exchange that Jesus has with uh, the Pharisees and people about who he was. And Jesus replied, it says, Very truly, I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Yo, this is so bug what Jesus does on so many levels. So one he ties together this sin this aspect of saying actually. If you're a, if you're a sinner, you're a slave to sin. Like we, we are addicted to our sins and our devices. So the, the condition of slavery in Roman times, remember, he's talking about in the Roman Empire that one out of every three person was a slave. One out of every three. One two slave, one two slave. Like that's Rome. Like that's how entrenched it was in the culture. And there was a hierarchy of, of, of seeing value and worth where the people who weren't enslaved were seen as intrinsically more valuable, like innately, than those who were enslaved. And so for Jesus to say everyone who sins is a slave, and that that, that is very profound and like provocative language for that culture. He's saying, wait a minute, there's no hierarchy? of humanity? Like, we all in the same place? And if you see in the text, they get mad at him. They say, wait a minute, we're sons of Abraham. We have not been slaves to anybody. And he's like, no, this is what I'm telling you. If you are a sinner, you're a slave to sin. But then he goes on to explain that while the positions in their, in that Roman society was that a slave had no permanent status in the family, right? They could be sold, they could be left, they had no inheritance, that he says the son, on the other hand, belongs to it forever. This is the concept of primogenitor. The idea that um, in most patriarchal societies that the oldest son is the one who gets the inheritance, or at least the majority of it, over everybody else. So there's this other issue that was going on in Rome, this aspect of um, just patriarchy and 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 sexism in this aspect of well if you're a male then you're more valuable than women look at what Jesus says in this he says so if the sun sets you free you are free indeed he's saying I obliterate all the categories I obliterate all of the hierarchies that exist the economic the socioeconomic hierarchies the gender hierarchies none of it is around because if I set you free you're free And as a result of that, what that means is that sense of freedom is also a connection and an understanding that that's not just some internal warm fuzzy, but that has implications for how he actually did his ministry. Why is it that Jesus interacts with so many women and have them leading and and, and evolved in his ministry? Why is it that Jesus chose to pick this group of fishermen who were not in the halls of palaces? Why does he just continually go to the poor and speak to them and say to this woman who all she had was two pennies and gave that, that she gave more than everybody else? Why is he doing that? Because he's undoing the colonialistic mindset of his day and age that comes as a result of sin. Oh, man, I wish I had more time on practice, but I don't. So I got to keep moving. Here's an example. Here's some more modern day examples. Some of you may know of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He was a German pastor, theologian, that's also widely known as an anti-Nazi dissident. And he actually died. Um, like hung. Like the, the war was turning, and so the Nazis just started to kill all those who were in their prisons who had resisted them. So even though the war was essentially over, he, they, they murdered him anyway. But a lot of times, I heard a lot about Dietrich uh, growing up, in, you know, once I was growing in my faith, And the thing that was interesting is that a lot of the church in in Germany, you know, kind of stayed neutral on the sidelines because they were afraid of Hitler. But there were also these Christians who Bonhoeffer was a major leader of who resisted and basically went underground as a church to resist Hitler. And so... This one author, Reggie Williams, kind of asked the question, what what was it about Bonhoeffer's development that caused him to go against the grain like that? Very early see the evils of Hitler and the Nazi regime and, and, and do everything in his power from a biblical standpoint to resist against it. This is what Reggie Williams and Bonhoeffer's Black Jesus, what he writes. Seeing society from the hidden perspective of Harlem helped Bonhoeffer to recognize white supremacy in Germany and to see it as a Christian problem that might demand Christian political action. Because he was exposed to American racism from the perspective of Christians who were subjected to it, Bonhoeffer was equipped with prophetic insight that his white German colleagues in the church and the academy did not have. You see, prior to this happening, prior to the rise of, of Hitler, Bonhoeffer spent some time in New York City, and at first he was frustrated by the churches, both liberal and conservative, that were in the white context that he was in because they, none of them he saw had this sense of fervor and accuracy of the truth. And then somebody told him about this church, Abyssinian Baptist in Harlem. So he goes up, you know, probably takes the two or three, three train or whatever, goes up and is Becomes embedded in this community of a black church who he sees is actually explicitly staying faithful to the scriptures and also condemning and confronting the racism of their time with Reverend Adam Clayton Powell as their pastor but he decentered his self in the narrative and took those insights and it helped him to move forward and to do that in his own context. And this is why, this is not just about one people is bad and one side is good. Like this is just all the work that we all have to do in order to keep making that happen. Then we also decolonize by doing justice. We said that colonialization creates injustices. And two years ago when George Floyd was murdered, Our lead pastor really began a movement with a protest that started just a couple weeks later. We had a few thousand people representing over a hundred evangelical churches in the city. And what started as a moment has become a movement and an organization. And so Pray, March, Act continues this work today of praying, marching, and acting and and understanding that we are called, if we've ever read Micah 6.8, to do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly according to our God. That's what we're called to do, that work. And if you are thinking about or looking for ways to get engaged and involved, we invite you to get involved with Pray March Act. It's a great way to live out that call. So we decenter dominant narratives. We do justice. And lastly, we decolonize by receiving the good news. We decolonize by receiving the good news. The thing about the gospel is it's like one of those vacation packages that sometimes you promise that they say they're all-inclusive. And all-inclusive means I'm not just buying it piecemeal where I just go and I get the hotel or I just, you know, I get the flight, the hotel, and the meals. Now, you got to read the fine print sometimes because they be lying sometimes. That happened to me. It was like, oh, we meant breakfast, but not like lunch and dinner. And you're like, that's not all-inclusive. But that's a different sermon for a different day. Um, but the gospel is all-inclusive, and that means it speaks to not only the personal issues of sin that we have, but the systemic issues as well, the global issues as well. In fact, it's what we need. Another friend of mine that I was talking to, um, and I was reading a work that she did after Toni Morrison died. She re- was reflecting on Toni Morrison, the great author's life. And specifically in The Bluest Eye, she was thinking about the impact of that work. And this is what she said, that I was Pecola, the main character. Despising the image reflected back to me in the mirror. Loathing my nappy hair. Hating my dark skin by reaching for bleaching cream. She would try to bleach her skin, Akemeni would. Morning and night, which was my sacrifice to the altar of whiteness. I was Pecola. Pacola was me. Well, if you know anything about Achaemeny now, and you're like, wow, that's pretty surprising because she seems like such a steadfast advocate of blackness, justice, all the things. And this is what she said was how that transition happened. It took years of prayer, meditation on God's word, discipleship, biblical counseling, and a deeper understanding of the gospel of Jesus Christ to graciously lift the wickedly stubborn root of shame and rejection from my heart. Even now, there is some scar tissue. You see, for her to be the advocate that she is, she had to embrace the truth that had to start from within her in order for it to be expressed outside of her. The gospel is the only thing that leads us to that holistic understanding of a right understanding of ourselves and in our world. It gives us a way to renounce violence. It gives us a way to understand who we are and have pride in who we are without putting ourselves above everybody else. it gives us a way to renounce ethnocentricity for theocentricity. It gives us a way to recognize I don't have to fight for my own sense of power and political position because I serve one who has all power in his hands. Oftentimes, secular solutions are too naive because they assume that somehow if I just change the system out there, then we'll be all right. But the reality is there's a system in here that's just as strong. (laughs) We don't need a better system by itself. We need Jesus and a better system. We need the one who Paul writes about in Philippians and said, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God as a thing that would be grasped, but he emptied himself. You see, Jesus had the power, but he chose a better way of what to do with that power and using it for the sake of others. The way to decolonize our faith is through re-evangelizing ourselves. Scriptures show us that the bad news of the human condition is worse than we think. Romans makes that very clear. Former colonial powers may have a monopoly on banks, but they do not have a monopoly on sin. But Jesus offers us good news for everyone that doesn't deny or reject it that he will build us he will do something different he will recreate us in his image not in the image of someone who says this is the standard of beauty not in the image that says this is the pinnacle of society and success and civilization not in any other image but his own and here's the thing the point and we see this so clearly in Romans as we'll continue to go through the point is creating a new people to create who's, who, who retain the elements of their culture that are redeemed but that also that cut off the parts that are not and ultimately this is the beautiful part jesus chose to be born in a colonized community on the cross he died at the hands of colonizers but the difference between him and them is that he conquered them in his resurrection His kingdom is greater than any of the empires of the world. You see, that Roman might, that was the biggest, baddest kingdom that the world had ever seen. That's just a distant memory to us now. But his kingdom is greater than all the empires of the world. He is the way out of injustice in our own sense of unrighteousness. And if we choose him today, if you let him conquer your own sense of pride he will remake you better you won't lose yourself you'll find yourself i'll end with words from my friend cam triggs he says as we scrub away the curse of ham the whitewashing of christianity in history of slaveholding christianity we must be careful to not ruin the beautiful portrait of jesus as revealed in his word don't let white supremacy steal your faith well, today we get the opportunity to respond to this message. And part of the reason why we do this publicly is because we recognize and understand we're not trying to put people on the spot, but it's an invitation. It's something that happens when I say out loud, just like those baptisms, I choose Jesus. It says that I'm going to choose to reject any other impressions of what might, someone else might say that I am or who they see me to be. And I just choose Jesus. So this is good news for everyone. And we just want to invite you, if you're here today, to just recognize the fact that Jesus says, look, I'm big enough to handle not just the sins of the, you know, of systems, but yours individually as well. Would you stand with me as we make just an opportunity for a response so i'm just going to make a call and just ask that if you're here today you just bow your heads and close your eyes and just have a moment of reflection as you heard what we shared and talked about and might realize man i have not decentered dominant narratives i've let other people's distortions of jesus color my own perspective But now I see the beauty of the fact that I need renovation. I need renewal. I want Jesus over my sin. I want Jesus over my pride. If that's you, would you just slip up your hand? Just slip up your hand and say, I I choose Jesus today. I I see that hand. Praise God, I see that hand. For the first time maybe in your life, I choose Jesus and I want to follow him I'm gonna choose what he says is true about the faith not what somebody else said if that's you if, if if you want if you made that decision we just want you to come down to the front just come down to the front if you made that decision so we can pray with you we can pray for you the second call you've made that decision already you've followed Jesus but Sometimes we can be the colonizers of our own hearts and minds. And maybe over the span of the last few weeks or recently, you just want to recommit yourself to Jesus. If that's you, just slip up your hand. You want to once again recognize him as the Lord of your life. It's an opportunity to choose Jesus. The real Jesus the Jesus of Nazareth not the Jesus of Norway let's pray Heavenly Father we thank you that you care about what happens in our hearts in our minds and in our world around us we ask that you would help us to join you in this work of decolonization and help us to recognize our own brokenness and our need for you as well. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name.
0: We hope today's message was encouraging for you. We'd also love to hear how God used this message to speak to you. We hear from people all across the country about what God is doing through our podcast, and we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at info at bridgechurchnyc.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Our handle for both of those social media outlets is at bridgechurchnyc. Our website is bridgechurchnyc.com. If you're in the New York City area, we have services at 4 p.m. and 6 p.m. on Sundays at 98 Fifth Avenue in Brooklyn, New York, right next to the Barclays Center. We are praying for you and we hope to see you soon.